This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Kevin Scudis, president of the National Corn Growers Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with North Dakota's Kevin Scudis next. While growers and beekeepers may seem unlikely friends, the work within both industries easily intersects to create positive environmental impact all around. That's why Bayer created the CARE program. CARE is an acronym reminding growers to communicate, be aware, reduce dust, and ensure correct planting practices to reduce risk to pollinators during planting season. Now in its sixth year, Bayer encourages growers to embrace responsible stewardship practices with four simple tips. Communicate planting activities with neighboring beekeepers. Be aware of wind speed and direction during planting. Help reduce the amount of dust released by using Fluency Agent Advanced as their seed lubricant and ensure seed is planted correctly. Visit beehealth.bear.us for more information on land and product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation's corn growers are facing a number of economic challenges and threats to product demand from ethanol and trade. Kevin Skunis, president of the National Corn Growers Association, says these issues make congressional approval of a new farm bill this year even more important. Skunis says corn farmers applaud the Senate Agriculture Committee's work last week and hopes the 20-to-1 vote sends a message to legislators on Capitol Hill. I hope they look at that and say that out of the Ag Committee, when it's voted on 20 to 1, that's obviously a bipartisan. They know that as our rural communities go, we believe that the whole country goes. And, you know, we have safe, affordable, and abundant food in this country. And and this program helps keep that that way. And I hope that that sends a strong message to the whole Senate. Did the National Corn Growers Association get everything from the Senate bill that you had hoped for? Well, we were very happy, obviously, that the crop insurance came through as it did, and we were even quite happy that included some flexibility on the enterprise coverage. They're being able to merge enterprise units between neighboring counties, which should result in, you know, more affordable premiums. However, you know, we were disappointed, obviously, that the fix for the ARC and the PLC is not in the current bill as it comes out. And and that's one thing that we'd really like to see in there. But we were relatively happy with the bill as it came out overall. If they had made those adjustments, do you feel like that would have been pitting one commodity against another or one region of the country against another? I think there's a way that they could have adjusted the percentages for the ARC and the PLC that would have made it equitable for every everyone, I think. There's some numbers out there and, and some plans that, that I think would show that. Is it frustrating for you to look in the lower chamber in the House to realize that it was a debate over nutrition and work requirements toward nutrition that helped to see that plan come apart, not to mention the question over immigration reform? Well, I think it was very disheartening. You know, we thought that that it looked pretty good. You know, we had had a couple of those amendments that got turned down. Uh, the one amendment, uh, number two, HR two, would have just been devastating for the whole program. In fact, in in years that would have would have taken it away, that got voted down. We were very, you know, very hopeful that it would pass. And then, you know, when you have, like you just said, when you have some 
some issues that really don't even apply to the farm bill are keeping the House from passing a farm bill. That was very disheartening, absolutely. Why is it important to make sure that a new law is written this year? If we're only looking at minor changes to the 14, would it be the end of the world if you had to go for a short-term extension? Well, we it, it would maybe not be the end of the world, but we, we saw extensions you know, the last time, and that didn't work very well. We think it's very important that we even like you said with minor minor changes you know we have the the NAS and the RMA change for yield reporting we have a few changes like that but we just believe for the certainty for farmers in this economy right now it would be very very important to get a new farm bill signed by September 30th I would say you're probably encouraged to see the action of the Senate Ag Committee uh the promise to have a vote in the Senate before the 4th of July and perhaps the House Ag Committee's bill coming back to the full lower chamber for uh, as soon as the week ahead. Oh, absolutely. That's very encouraging. Uh, when we've had our uh, our NCGA Corn Board uh, met in March here in Washington, D.C., and we had... Uh, you know, we had uh, both senators from the Stabenow and Roberts, both, you know, from the, from the Ag Committee, and, you know, they gave their promise that they were going to do just exactly what they did the other day, and, and that's very... Very encouraging when we know that something can get done, and we hope that when it comes to the full floor, we know that there's going to be more debate, and maybe some of these little fixes can get taken care of, but we're very, very happy that they uh, went ahead and passed it out of the Ag Committee and, and are saying they're going to put it on the floor. That's absolutely wonderful news. Kevin, as president of the National Corn Growers, how do you feel about EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt and the way that he has administered the renewable fuel standard under his tenure in the Trump administration? Well, we're certainly not very happy with the way things are going right now. You know, all winter long there was a discussion on the renewable identification numbers versus the reed vapor pressure that would allow E15 to be sold year-round. We know that there have been some small refiner waivers. We're actually in a couple of lawsuits right now, uh, litigations against the EPA on, on a couple of the issues about RINs. The administration campaigned on renewable fuels. Uh, Administrator Pruitt last fall said that he would stand by what the administration says, and now it seems like that we are not doing that. And I believe we need to have some serious debate, some respectful debate, but we need to let them know. And, and this tour that he took around in Nebraska, Kansas, and South Dakota, I think the farmers in the countryside voiced their opinions Let's get back at the, at the table and talk about getting some of these things done and, and get some transparency in the small refinery waivers that it's going on right now. We, you know, that's just been, you know, a lot of demand destruction. We believe there's probably been about 1.6 billion gallons of ethanol that's been waived to the small refineries, and that's just demand destruction for the ethanol industry, which then obviously goes down to the corn industry. This administrator said that while those waivers were granted, he did not see allocation for those lost 1.6 billion gallons of ethanol. What does that mean in terms of bushels and, and even to the bottom line of corn growers like yourself? Well, that's uh, 1.6 billion gallons uh, of ethanol, and if you you know divide divide that by 2.8 or 2.85, you know that's 600 million bushels of corn demand that's not going to be there. And in a year when we already have 
the kind of commodity prices that we have and and with the carryouts that we've been having the last couple of years, that lack of usage is certainly going to be bad for the corn industry. Some of the members of the oil industry and their representatives believe that one of the probable answers to the renewable fuel standard issue is to allow RINs for ethanol produced for export. Where do the corn growers stand on that, and why would you oppose it? Well, we're absolutely against that. Um, you know, that would the the RFS and the RINs was certainly a you know a domestic program. You know, it is it's the law of the land right now, and and it was designed for domestic ethanol. And we just we believe that that would be a WTO would. Uh, you know, would would look down on that, and it would be like subsidizing uh, ethanol that goes out of the country. So we're 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 uh, very much against that. The president said that he would not allow it to happen. Yet uh, the oil industry and their representatives to continue to call for it. I don't expect the story will change. I expect not. Uh, it's it's been that way. Uh, it seems like we have something figured out, and then you know, two weeks later, a month later. We have another meeting, and and the uh, the oil industry obviously has a lot of clout with the White House. We just have to keep our message in there going that, you know, we believe that, you know, agriculture had a lot to do, obviously, with getting this administration voted into office. We are standing behind them and letting them know that they need to stand up to some of their promises because, you know, pretty soon in the farm country, if they're not holding up their end of the promises, the farm the farm country will start to uh you know, support for this administration will start to waver. We need to we need to make them aware of that. How important is the export market to the profitability and the bottom line of corn growers across rural America? Oh, it's extremely important. When we talk about the market for 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 corn uh is you know what what I can talk about you know our our oldest and best customers are livestock industry in the US and we don't want to forget them ever because they you know they're our they're our best customer but it that market has pretty much plateaued our our second best market ethanol but to get rid of you know the excess you know, grain that we have on hand, excess corn that we have on hand, we need to be able to export and, and, uh, and we need to export on a level playing field. You know, we're talking about NAFTA. You know, Mexico is our number one export market for corn. And, you know, it just, with their, you know, logistics to Mexico and Texas, you know, we can ship corn, you know, rail or, or truck into Mexico and it, and it you know, works so well. We have a great relationship with them. Exports are just, you know, if if you were to go out to the countryside and ask a farmer, you know, what he thinks about the top two things right now on his markets, he would say, uh, a corn farmer would say ethanol and trade. Yes, the livestock is our best, but, but the ones that we can affect right now and are being affected our exports and uh, ethanol. So they're very important to us. Uh, Kevin, high on the Trump administration agenda has been trade, and certainly that has been a point of anxiety for agriculture, knowing how important the export market is to the bottom line of operations. On Friday, the president announced uh, $50 billion in tariffs against China. On Friday, you also had an opportunity to be at the White House Tell us about the meeting and tell us about your thoughts about this administration's action on trade and certainly the action toward China. 
And we did meet with Wilbur Ross at the White House, uh, also uh, Deputy uh, Steve Stensky. He was there from the USDA. You know, we, we talked a lot about trade, about all, all the issues in trade. And, and of course, the, the China deal did come up. And, you know, I, I expressed our our attitude that, you know, we don't like tariffs. We want, you know, we're looking for free trade. We want a, a level playing field. We do understand that the uh, administration is trying to get us some better deals because we know that at times, you know, China is, is a bad actor. We understand that. Our problem with that is is that our administration is putting agriculture out in front of this and just the U.S., when we know that China can go other places and get their their soybeans or or the corn if they need it, and you know we would like to see us working with our close allies in trade, you know, to make it so that tariffs against China would actually mean something, and they wouldn't be able to you know fill all those uh, contracts from other places, and you know. We don't want the U.S. farmer to take the brunt of all of these tariffs. How do the national corn growers feel about the overall Trump trade agenda? It started with pulling out of TPP, and now you have a NAFTA agreement that is not done, and there is a trade war that is escalating with China. Well, we were, of course, you know, big supporters of TPP, and we were, you know, disappointed that that you know both presidential uh, candidates. You know, weren't in favor of that, and obviously, when when President Trump took office, he immediately took us out of that. There's been a little bit of talk that maybe we would, you know, enter back into some form of TPP, and that's that's appealing to us. But you know, I, I think we have to realize that there was a lot of support in the countryside behind the Trump administration, and and I think there still is. We need cooler heads to prevail. We need to get back at the bargaining table. We have to work with China. You know, we have to work on getting the NAFTA deal across the finish line. You know, Mexico is our number one export market for U.S. corn, and, and they're a very valued customer. And we want to see, you know, things things getting done. We we understand that uh, that you know they they are, you know, trying to make these deals work. But I think if you know we can only give them a certain amount of time, and the economic situation in the countryside. You know, if we if we don't fix some of these things soon, uh, they're going to start to lose some support in the countryside. The president has called farmers patriots and willing to, in essence, take one for the team. How far can you go being at the tip of the sword in a trade battle? Well, I, I think that's a good point. We are we are at the tip of the sword when we're talking about, you know, uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum, and then so we're talking about the retaliation list mostly you know, uh, exists of, of agricultural products, and, and that's hard to do. Uh, you know, our our economics are tough. You know, in rural America, our uh, net farm income is about half of what it was five years ago, and actually USDA has pegged 2018's net farm income to be the lowest since 2002. So things are pretty serious. You know, we're not in favor of being at the tip of the sword, I think we do understand at the end of the day that some of these things need to be fixed. But when you are on the leading edge of this all the time, it is hard to take, and I think uh, we'd like to see things get fixed sooner rather than later. How did the Commerce Secretary and the staff respond to your concerns? There was absolutely no promise made, but you know we were certainly talking about the China thing, and one of the comments that was made, well, you know, the president thinks we should probably try and get the, you know, the NAFTA 
agreement fixed. That would be one part of the sword that could make things a little better, and, and we're hopeful that they can follow through on, on getting NAFTA across the finish line, and I, and I think that was one of the things that we would like to see. We have, we have NAFTA, you know, we have trade with China, we have the renewable fuel standard, ethanol, and we have a farm bill to get done. There's just a lot of things going on, a lot of, a lot of moving parts in the agricultural industry right now. Now, earlier this year, Kevin, there were members of the Trump administration that said, so if we don't sell to China, somebody else will, and then we'll sell our product to someone else. How do you ascribe to that thinking? Well, you know, there there is some logic to that, and Secretary Ross, you know, actually went through some of that. There's a finite number of bushels of soybean that are going to be raised in the world, and, and you know, it will take changing some markets around. You know, and that's their theory, and that's the way they're going to work at it, and we just have to hopefully let that work out and uh, and go from there, and, and hopefully these markets will, will come around. As yet, China hasn't been a huge buyer for U.S. feed grains. They're a huge buyer of soybeans and now would face a 25% tariff. It's dried distilled grains, and certainly if they advance with their goals of renewable energy, 10% ethanol on their gasoline supply, that could become a very important market, and right now you're at a 25% disadvantage. Well, it certainly would, and if we could take care of the tariffs with China, it would be a huge thing for us. Like you just mentioned, they want to they wanna go to E10 and their fuel supply to try and clean up their, their air. You know, they, they can't possibly make all that ethanol right away. They will start building plants as they can. So that would be a export market for us, possibly. And once they get more plants made in China, they would probably need to buy corn, so they might be a bigger corn purchaser from the U.S. too. So we, we believe that would be a, a a big market for us if we could get the tariff issue figured out. The president says he wants fair trade, and he wants fair trade for all of the U.S., at the expense of fair trade is a market that is critical to your success what was your play to the Commerce Secretary? What would your statement be to the President? Well, we certainly need fair trade, and we need to work it out. But if, if we have no farmers left in the countryside to support this administration, it, it won't make much difference if we can get there. There's a big labeling dispute that has gone on, and we're looking for the Department of Agriculture to roll out the regulations that go along with legislation that Congress approved with regard to biotech disclosure. And California, they've taken a different look at labeling, and the corn growers have been involved in litigation that might have found products in California with warning labels if there had been even a trace of glyphosate involved in the production of the ingredients in food. How do you find the recent rulings, and do you support what the judges have said? So that was the Prop 65 thing they had going on in California, and National Corn Growers was a plaintiff in that lawsuit that said that about glyphosate, because we knew that if they could get glyphosate, that they had to label everything that had even the smallest amount of glyphosate in it, and, and if that would go through, that that would just open the floodgates to any any product in California that they wanted to label as, as carcinogen, and they were using bad data. They were using data from just one source, and it was outdated and wasn't wasn't even scientifically uh, thought through. So we are very, very happy with that ruling, and the judge just in the last couple of days reaffirmed that ruling. This wasn't just a ruling that would affect California only. This was a state law that would have set a precedent for the nation. 
Oh, absolutely. And we know that you know, if something passes in California, there's a lot of states that look to follow that. That's correct. So we're very, very pleased with this. And it's going to be an ongoing struggle, and we'll keep our eye on it. But we, yes, National Corn Growers was a plaintiff in that, uh, in that lawsuit. In addition to all the other items with regard to trade and the renewable fuel standard to ethanol and a new farm bill, you find now that your uh, chief executive officer has taken a new position with CropLife America uh, how do you uh, how do you begin the process of finding new leadership? Well, first of all, I want to thank Chris Novak for his years at National Corn Growers. He he certainly did a great job of leading us through some difficult times. The Crop Life America job for him in in DC here is a, a huge step up for him, and we're we're uh, so happy for him to to move on and upward. But we really want to thank him for the job he's done for us. Our corn board will meet. We will talk about if we're going to use a, a search company to look for a new CEO. We're actually meeting in, in North Dakota, uh, in Fargo, so we'll have a lot of discussions on how the uh, search for a new CEO will go forward, but uh, we will be just fine. We'll find somebody new, and, and we'll get uh, right back on track. Kevin Skunis, we want to thank you very much for taking uh, time out of your busy farming schedule and your leadership position there with the Corn Growers Association in this season for spending time with us here on AgriPulse. Uh, this is called Open Mic, so Kevin, you have the last word. Jeff, I just want to thank you and AgriPulse for covering agriculture for us. It's so important that we get our our message out there. Just look at the uh, issues that we covered today. You know, the RFS, ethanol, trade, the farm bill, the search for a new CEO. We are just so happy with what you do. And, you know, know that the National Corn Growers, you know, we're about creating profitable demand for our growers and getting our story out there to the whole egg community is a big part of that. So thank you very much. Our thanks to Kevin Skunis, president of the National Corn Growers Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.